This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. So welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. Hope you're well. How's your week been, Kate? My week's been good. I've been, it's been a week of head down delivery, actually, because part of the work that I do is I work with corporate organizations and provide kind of educational webinars and support to employees with regards to fertility in the workplace. And it's been great. I've done a webinar to a large bank, UK bank, and I've done another one to another organization that focuses on wellness. So it's been full on this week, lots of um, prep and lots of delivery. Because one of the things that we're really keen to encourage is this conversation within the workplace. And it's great seeing that more and more organizations, and I know it's because you're doing a lot of work as well to, to connect with them, but it's great to see that organizations are taking this in as part of their of their well-being and their diversity and inclusion policies, isn't it? Because it's something that affects all of us. And we know, we've talked about it before, that the menopause conversation has been much more prominent in the workplace, yet the the fertility conversation, which is going to affect everybody in in some way, whether they speak out about it or not, it's hardly ever talked about, yet we are seeing a change. We are. I mean, the webinar that I did the other day, I actually called it fertility in the workplace is a Cinderella subject. You'd much rather just sweep it under the carpet and leave Cinderella where in her place and not actually get her out into her ruby slippers. And that's nice exactly. Analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. In fact, it's not ruby slippers, is it? It's glass slippers. Yes. That's and, Dorothy and that's, with the ruby. That's Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what it's like. But I've been so, I mean, obviously we know Channel 4 came out a couple of weeks ago saying that they have got a pregnancy loss policy that was followed swiftly by Monzo Bank. Yeah. But that was so interesting because Channel 4 said that they believed that they were the first and actually Monzo Bank went, oh, we kind of quietly rolled ours out two months ago. Oh, so that they? was really interesting. Yeah. And I think a lot of other organizations going, actually, we have it. We have it or we're certainly bringing it out. So now a London council, they didn't name it. They've bought one out. And um, Lad Bible, which I've never heard of, which is a publishing company. You've not heard so of Lad Bible? No. Where have I been? Oh, well, it's, <laughs> you're not really a lad. So <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's not. been around for quite some time. But it's but that's brilliant as well, because yeah. that targets a huge part of the male population. And yeah, obviously, massive. we want the relevance of how this impacts, you know, men and women to be on people's radar. I think it's really interesting that people hadn't necessarily been shouting about what they'd done, yet they'd done it. Yeah, And they hadn't realised it was, it's like it wasn't worth talking about. I know, I, I think you're right. Again, it just serves to, to put the taboo around the whole subject, doesn't it? But I think what is really interesting, it's great that these policies are coming out, but they can't just have a policy and go, okay, we've done that. Because you're you're not going to normalise it. You're not going to normalise the conversations without the education. And that's what I'm really passionate about is delivering that education piece and getting people talking and supporting the employees in the workplace. So it's great that policies are coming, but that doesn't mean to say it has to end and stop there. Absolutely not. That actually should be... The starting point. The starting point. Yeah. And then lots more should happen as a result. Yeah. And that's what our Facility Matters at Work initiatives all about. It's helping that education piece. And that's what the work you're doing is all about mm. as well. And that's actually what today's episode is kind of about because we're going to be speaking to a brilliant, brilliant guest, Laura Rose Thorogood, who 
is the founder of the LGBT Mummies Tribe. And she talks about how the organization that she's created is all about that support and that conversation and ensuring that people know what needs to be thought through when you are looking at an alternative route to parenthood. But there's also that support element. She's having all sorts of conversations with government to the NHS. The NHS. Yeah. To to just make sure that this this conversation for same sex couples or even if you're looking at solo motherhood and trying to understand, you know, what that looks like, what it means and who you can talk to about it. Yeah, massively important. And I think she's doing a great job. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting hearing more about her in her episode. Well, have a listen. We'll put the links to what Laura talks about, of course, at the end of the episode. We've got our Ask the Expert coming up as well. And don't forget that you can get in touch to ask any questions to our expert, James Nikopoulos, either by just emailing info at thefertilitypodcast.com or you can get in touch with either Kate or I on our Instas. You can just DM us. I'm at Fertility Poddy. And I'm at Your Fertility Journey. And now let's get on with the episode. So welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast, and I'm really pleased to welcome Laura Rose Thorogood, who's the founder of the LGBT Mummies Tribe, and she's an LGBT plus family activist. Laura is a lesbian mother of two children by IUI, both her and her wife, Carrie. We're going to hear more about that. And Laura's currently pregnant after trying to conceive during the pandemic with secondary infertility and had IVF. And it works on the fifth attempt. So we've got lots to talk about. And she does such amazing work working with organizations like the NHS, with the government. And what her organization does is educate, uh, celebrates and brings together LGBT plus women and people worldwide on their path to motherhood and parenthood by providing information and guidance and everything that you need, whatever route you're taking from having fertility treatment, surrogacy, adoption, fostering, whether it's a single as a single parent, whether you're co-parenting or as a step parent, it is an amazing tribe and a really fascinating and brilliant organization. And we're really chuffed to have you here. So welcome, Laura. Hello. Thank you for having me. And also, I know just how busy you are because we are talking off the back of Lesbian Visibility Week and the first Donor Conception Awareness Week. And I've seen blog posts and social posts and conversations. Are you talked out or are you never talked out enough? No, I'm from Essex, so I'm never yeah. talked out. <laughs> no, it has been. It has. We've had week after week of awareness weeks and days in the last month. So it has been has been pretty mind-blowing, but yeah. And especially good. as you're obviously pregnant. How many weeks pregnant are you now? 35 today. Wow, wow. Yeah. So that, you must be feeling pretty exhausted then after the month that you've had. Just sleeping very hangry. Oh. I'm just hungry, angry all the time. I just mm. want to eat. <laughs> Yeah, but no, all good. Well, let's talk a bit about your experience because, as I mentioned, both you and your wife had had have carried a child, and I saw how you'd shared how a nurse had come in with a pen and paper whilst you were in recovery after having your firstborn, and saying, "Can you just tell me how you did it?" Which I'm sure is probably uh, a lot of the motivation for setting up what you have created. So, tell us a bit about your story. Well, we've been uh, together 14 years, married 10. When we started our path to motherhood, obviously we're she, her, we're lesbians. So we uh, identify as mothers about a decade ago. And we decided the path for us was to have fertility treatment through a clinic. So we use CRGH in London. And then we decided to use a sperm bank in America called Zytec for our donor. And the donor is the donor for all our children. 
So we decided that my wife would carry because she had severe PCOS. She got told um, through the NHS she'd never carry, but the clinic dispelled that quite quickly and said, no, you will, we will get you pregnant. So it took five attempts of IUI. Um, the fourth worked and we sadly miscarried. And then on the fifth, we had our daughter, our eldest. And then we had our son, who I had by natural cycle IUI. And then obviously this pregnancy, third, has taken three failed IUI attempts, failed IVF fresh transfer and then on the frozen transfer I finally got pregnant but it was after diagnosed secondary infertility because my ovarian reserve had diminished in like two years by half at 33 Mm. which was a bit of a shocker Mm. but that's that's us so we're both bio and non-bio mums which is really really lucky we're quite quite lucky to have both been able to experience birth and you went through all that treatment for your for your latest pregnancy during the pandemic yeah, we started it just before the pandemic hit and then we had all the testing, moved to IVF and then they said, we'll do your egg collection quickly because obviously we know that we're panicked about that um, and then it got cancelled. So we just had to wait for the two months where the clinics were closed and then start again back in the summer. And that's been an experience, hasn't it, of so many women is having that that break and that frustration of not being able to do anything for quite a period of time. And for you guys, that must have been even more frustrating because you are literally in the hands of your clinic, aren't you, waiting for your next procedure? Yeah, we, I mean, we were really, really fortunate. CRGH were the first clinic that the HFEA opened right, when the pandemic started. So we were lucky. We were like, thank God. But I think, you know, we'd already been through two you know, we've had two children because of the work we do. We know we're really lucky. So you kind of have to remind yourself of that quite frequently. There are others that are struggling a lot more than we are. But yeah, it was a bit of a mental breakdown at the time because obviously we didn't know how much time we had left that I would still be fertile for or, you know, what the quality of my uh, eggs were like. So we were really worried. But my wife just said, think of what you can control, control what you can control. And within our control is your diet, our mental health, and getting ready for IVF because obviously I'd never had IVF prior to that I'd always had IUI so she said let's control that and then once the clinics are open we can go ahead and that really really helped because she's quite stoic my wife she kind of just told me to get on with it and we we can do it um and luckily you know spent that two months getting really healthy eating the right things real uh, good supplements and getting in the right mind frame ready for IVF and it went really really quickly you know there were others that are really struggling at the minute so so good. it was hard but but so good to hear because that's exactly what we're always talking about is giving yourself that time frame and we've talked on the podcast about how whilst the pandemic has been a pain in so many ways for so many people mm. and there's been such stress with all treatment being halted what we've been encouraging is people to use that time to their advantage mm. and take stock and do all the things you've said look at diet look at lifestyle and try and get in the best place possible yeah exactly as we kind of mentioned right at the beginning before we started um, recording, we've on the podcast we've been doing this, if you like, a roadmap, starting right from the very beginning of somebody trying to conceive and hopefully giving the information and support that they need all the way through the process. And this is part of, part of kind of the relaunch that we've done. And we really like it, don't we, Natalie, because it's this real kind of step-by-step guide. Well, and hopefully filling but in I'm the just, gaps. Yeah, exactly. But what I'm kind of intrigued to know, when it comes to the LGBT plus community, are there any kind of common mistakes or pitfalls that people can fall into? Like, do they maybe start going into things perhaps too early before they've done the background research and looked at their options and really have a really good understanding of the process? Do you kind of come up against any of those or hear about those common pitfalls? 
I think as a community, we tend to meet a little later in life and we tend to be out on the scene partying most of it. Um, and then by the time you settle down, if you have a partner or if you're a single woman or person by choice, when you actually decide to then have children, you know, we're between late 20s, early 30s or, or older if you've had a really good career. And I think that people don't think about it prior to that and think about preserving their fertility. And it's something we're really passionate about saying to people, really think about it in your 20s because you never know what you, where your fertility is on the spectrum who would have thought at 33 I would have had secondary infertility after carrying a pregnancy you don't you don't assume that would happen to you but it does happen and it can happen a lot earlier even with pre-menopause like um, early menopause so just really taking into consideration your fertility and earlier on in the journey and then really researching you get really excited because the thought of having a child and a family you, you know you kind of steamroll through it but you've really got to take the time to research all the avenues all the laws how you're covered how the child is covered the impact on the child and their future is really crucial but also the impact on the donor so if you have a known donor or you use a sperm bank you really really need to make sure that you're 100% sure and certain that the impact and the implications for all parties in that triangle is covered and that you're really sure of it. So with regards to some of the legal things, then, what can be some of the things that people might overlook? You know, not everyone can financially afford. It's not financially viable for everyone to go down the fertility treatment, like through a clinic route. You know, some people are of a certain social economic income where they'll never earn over a certain amount because that's the role. They love it and they can never afford it. So for them, they want to carry, they want to go down the home insemination route, they'll have to use a known donor in the UK. You can't legally have sperm shipped to your house in this country anymore. So for them, having to source a known donor and go down that route is something that people do, sometimes out of want because they want the known donor involved, but some people are forced down that route because they can't afford the clinic route. So Really, really taking the time to actually consider the implications of not seeking legal guidance is really, really important. It is a cost. It is expensive. However, that cost will protect you, the child and the donor for the future. And that impact if you're in a partnership, poly family or co-parenting, the relationship breaks down later on down the, down the years. That happens quite often. And you really, really need to consider every avenue of implications at the beginning and all those costs, it may be cheaper, but at the same time, the legal costs will cover you in the long run expense-wise and heartache and less distress. So it's really, really taking into consideration how it's going to impact the whole family. That's really good advice. Absolutely. Because like you say, it's, you could easily fall down the thing and think, right, I've, no, I can't afford that. I'm not going to do it. But mm. then the implications later mm. could be huge couldn't they yeah so taking yeah. time to really think things through yeah. and we've talked on the podcast before about the kind of the dangers of unregulated sperm donation and there was some conversation during the pandemic with clinics obviously being closed and people being more desperate to you know continue building their families did you find there was more conversations and more anxiety and more stress about access from people and maybe there was more conversations about these more unregulated sperm donation avenues that people might be looking into yeah, there was a lot of panic, especially because there's a worldwide shortage with the sperm banks regardless. Yeah. And then when it comes to the UK, the access for American or EU or well, other worldwide banks, you get better access to the donor information 
and imagery recordings, whereas in the UK you get very basic, blonde, six foot two, blue eyes, Swedish. You kind of get that kind of level of information. As women and people, we tend to want more information, so a lot of people want that. Some people don't. But the fact that they can't access it, there's delays on shipping, there's, you know, can't find the donor you want, your fertility clock is, the biological clock is ticking, people were looking down alternative routes and, you know, you want a child and that's your main priority and you're getting desperate. People will look down other routes and unfortunately there are unregulated groups on like across socials that, you know, have helped people. And there are a lot of positive stories. You can't dismiss those. But then there are the stories whereby people are being forced down a, a darker route where they're getting offered sexual intercourse for a baby or they're getting told that they need to pay them or they're getting let down there's so much so many implications with that where it is unregulated and it can be dangerous whereas there are organizations like co-parents pride angel that are regulated that you can go through and you can meet them in a positive and professional way but again if, if that's something you desperately want mm. and you know your your time is ticking you a lot of women and people will do anything and we understand that yeah, I think everyone is very vulnerable at that point, aren't they, yeah. in their life? Yeah, it's a difficult time. And that's where we want to obviously signpost people to organisations like yourselves to have that support and that kind of conversation about it, especially when it can be so daunting. And we've talked about the legalities in specific podcast episodes before, which we'll link to, and you, you touched on some of the things you need to consider. But when people are thinking, OK, well, I've not got a huge amount of money to spend on this, but I've I've got a bit. Are there some like key things in terms of family law that, that really do need to be considered that you should definitely make sure you've got in place, would you say? With the access and the laws in regards to using a fertility clinic, you, you know, it's all done through the HFEA. You have to fill out the appropriate forms. It's regulated. You're protected. If you go down the home insemination route and you use a known donor, you're not legally protected. You can sit there with the donor and sign documents and it's you know a letter of intent and it can be used in a court of law to show intent but legally it has no standing so seeking legal guidance we partner with a lgbt plus specialist firm called slater healy's and they you know are there to give guidance and support people yes it's a cost it's an expense but again like kate said it's a the necessary expense to protect you the child and the donor and whilst you haven't had to pay out for sperm, you haven't had to pay out for clinics, get legal guidance regardless. It is so, so important to make sure that you are protected before you go down that route. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what? tell us about the community aspect of, of the work that you do and what kind of support you offer. I think you've got some meetups as well and you talk about how your tribe has absolutely been there support in difficult times tell us a little bit more about that so obviously it's a central point for information and guidance on how to start your family but it's also a community and safe haven for people to share their lived experiences meet others are like-minded or going through similar paths and make friends you know it's really important that you, you know you can visibly see and meet other families that look like yours and the same with your children because in society, you know, during Pride Month, we're really prevalent and every brand wants to get behind you. But when it comes to the rest of the year, we disappear. You know, we're not visible across healthcare, et cetera, or the media in general, other than unfortunately when people want to tick a box, which is the case sometimes. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, you know, they want to make friends. They want other LGBT plus families. So we have a, an annual UK meet, about 130, 140 attend. 
was cancelled last year and it, it won't be going ahead this year just due to safety yeah, it's reasons. Difficult. It's not it's not worth it putting people's lives at risk. And then we have the private support groups so people can, you know, try to conceive, miscarriage and baby loss, um, non-bio mama and parents. We have all these different support groups that people can join to meet others, but it's global. So you'll be speaking to someone in the US or in Australia or in Russia or down the road. It's really nice for people to connect and hear each other's experiences and say, oh, you know, what IVF medication are you on? Oh, I'm really grumpy today. Oh, I had a meltdown. You know, all these different conversations or, you know, I'm going to adoption panel. You know, how did it work for you? It's great to connect people in a positive way, but in a safe space so that they can share and like learn from each other. So that's amazing. I'm definitely going to be signposting some of my patients your way. Oh, thank um, for you. Sure. Yeah, no, definitely. That sounds great. Just what the community, I'm sure that support that community really needs because it's that it, their needs are so very different and they need that support and that guidance. So that sounds like an invaluable support option. And especially sure. if people have been told maybe by their family that they're not going to be able to have a family, you know, and they've kind of they've grown up, you know, having to overcome all the challenges about their own identity to then try and get their head around being a parent because they maybe had thought that they weren't going to be able to be a parent. So I'm assuming that there's all that kind of deeper level of mental health support in what you do as well, because that whole coming to terms with having their feelings validated, as well as the physical aspects of the treatment is such a huge part of this journey, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, as a community, we deal so often with the microaggressions from healthcare professionals, from just general public, from friends, from families, from strangers, you know, we call it the second coming, you, you know, you come out at, at whatever stage in life, but then you have to come out again every time. Oh, who had, the, who had the baby? Oh, which one carried? Oh, so you're the other mother. Oh, how did that work then? You know, you have this consistently. And obviously, a lot of our policy work um, around policy change for our community with the NHS and the government and other organisations is to dispel, you know, the stigma and the stereotypes and get people understanding and educated about how to support us. But for our community, you consistently have these barriers. So it's difficult enough that you're discriminated against. And then you have that kind of, oh, well, like you said, family members, well, how can you have children? That's not possible. You'll have to adopt or you'll have to foster. Um, having to educate others mm. is tiring, but it's it's part of the journey. You know, we do it in a positive way. But by, by the 20th midwife appointment, when you're having to explain who's mum or going in for a scan, and unfortunately, my wife, for example, being asked if she's my mum or am I her sister, you know, it gets tiring. And unfortunately, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to dispel those microaggressions, level, a lot of levels of discrimination as well, so that people understand who we are. We're a huge community. And to be honest, we get it's difficult and it's confusing for heteronormative people to get their head around it because there's so many different types of people in our community. But ask the open questions. I'm sorry, I don't know. Can you can you let me know what, what your journey is? And then if people feel comfortable, they can. If they don't, they can decline and say it's a bit private. But for us, we've got to do the educating as well because people just don't know, don't know how to support us. It's so It's so true to just open the space rather than assume it could make such a huge difference to that that, yeah. that appointment. And hopefully, I mean, we do it all the time with what we hope to achieve with, with the podcast, but hopefully the more we keep saying, we'll talk a bit about the campaigning work that you're doing. Because I want to just talk a bit about the support you give to what people need to think about in what they're telling their kids. 
because we've talked about a little bit about the journey in terms of what they need to tell people around them. But when it comes to donor conception, and we've again talked about it on the podcast before, we will link to more in-depth conversations, but there's, it's so important to tell your child their story early doors, isn't it? And not have any, any secrecy or, or any, any, just any issue with any of it. And we know that children are so accepting. So what kind of guidance do you give with that? There's a lot of different people have different perceptions on how, you know, and it's a very personal choice on how people disclose it to family members, friends, and especially their children. But it's about sitting down prior to going ahead with that treatment or starting your family to have an understanding of how you're going to approach that because you do it in several different ways at each age appropriate section of their lives. You know, we have books that we've created for the children. We've fit the photos from when they were like a tiny embryo up to, you know, when they were born and their prince and princesses and their mummies were queens and they wished on a star and the doctor planted a seed in mummy's belly and, wow, the seed grew. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has their own story, but there's a lot of resources, a lot of books out there now that people can buy. And, I mean, behind us we've got tons of them. But children like to read and like to understand how special they are and how wanted they are. But people do it in different ways, but it's about understanding at the beginning how are you going to deal with that? How is that story going to change as that child grows up? And how is it going to become more scientific and more open and more adult as they get into their teenage years? You know, being a donor conceived child comes with its challenges. You've got to have those conversations, like in an age appropriate way, as we said. Yeah, it's not just one conversation, is it? It's, no, it's multiple. A, a, multiple conversations over many, many years mm-hmm. and keeping and keeping that conversation going. So you're always normalising it. Yeah. And kind of going back to kind of normalising and what you said earlier about it really resonated, really struck a chord actually with me when you said about, you know, when it's pride, every person and their dog wants to get involved, wants to get on the bandwagon. Yeah, and then suddenly, <laughs> yeah, which is great. You know, yeah, which is great. But then suddenly there's nothing mm. like yeah. this tumbleweed. Yeah. And I know that you're doing, We and Natalie mentioned it a minute ago, that you're doing lots of campaigning and you're having great conversations with the Government Equalities Office. Tell us a bit more about that and what you're doing so that you can hopefully then, be, that we're going to be all talking about this a lot more and we're not just talking about it when it comes to Pride, we're talking about it throughout the year. So what, what are you doing with regards to that? Like you said, like word normalising, it's, it's not even that, it's like usualising, just making it the everyday. Making our families visible we're not visible across society we we are a tick box and we don't want to be a tick box we want people to be like oh two mums oh yeah or oh single mother by choice yeah who cares you want to get to that stage where organizations like us are here but we're not having to do the level of policy and campaign work we're doing and for us you know healthcare is the main area where there's a huge huge amount of like disparity and like lack of inclusivity for women and people that we support because it is very heteronormative women have babies that's that's the way the language is and the way it's aimed at the marketing the collateral the forms the data it's that's what how it is so for us it's about having those conversations at a very high level within government within the NHS but in a positive way not saying this is negative this need you know this is happening it's a bad experiences for our community this is negative it's not great this is how it could change let us help you make the mistakes with us you know people are really frightened within the heteronormative society to actually get things wrong that's why people don't reach out midwives won't sit there and ask you 
that, oh, I'm sorry, I, I think I'll get it wrong because a professional of 40 years is not going to sit there and want to say to someone half their age, oh, actually, I don't really know how to support you. Mm. That's not the way, no, not the way any profession works. No, so but we us, should be. We absolutely should be saying that. We should be difficult. going hands yeah. up and saying, I know I might say something wrong here or I might yeah. get it wrong, please guide me. That's yeah. absolutely what we should be and saying. And it's the yeah. open conversations. It's about saying, I don't know. Do you mind sharing with me? Are you open to discussing it with me? Having those open questions in a positive way and making that situation a positive experience for us, the path to parenthood is difficult enough as it is. By the time you get to the point of pregnancy, you don't want to have to deal with multiple barriers and implications of having to come out all the time. The forms has mother and father. Then you're having to explain that you're, you know, it's reciprocal IVF and you're not the gestational carrier, but you're actually the biological mother or parent. And having to deal with all these assumptions consistently is tiring. If you're knee deep in 10 IVF cycles and you've had three miscarriages or a stillbirth, by that point, you're not going to care. You're, you're just going to be like, do you know what? I can't yeah. even be bothered mm-hmm. to explain myself because it's too triggering, too traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's been a journey. For healthcare professionals, that's the area that we really focus on because society, that campaign work is consistent. Yeah. But healthcare really, really needs to change and wake up. And the NHS are really doing a great job at listening to us and right. listening to other people within the organised like the community to actually make the changes. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's a long process. Yeah. But with willing like the fertility clinics we work with like Lister, CRGH, Agora, Fertility Partnership, all these pockets that support us as an organization and our community want to learn, yeah. want to change and making the appropriate changes, which is great because it then means that our community will walk into an appointment and go, Oh, that was so great. Can't wait to get pregnant. Yeah. So yeah. you want to do. And I was going to ask, you just want that that happy ending. I was going to ask you if there's certain clinics because I've worked. We work with Lister, and I've worked with the Agora specifically yeah. about how they really yeah, wanted to hear from their community how they could change their paperwork and how they could really have people mm. on the phone. And um, I did a brilliant program. We'll share it actually. A brilliant conversation with Megan, who is like heads up the phones for their trans community and had shared yeah. their own experience of how they didn't know about preserving their fertility and how it meant. And they've done amazing talks. And And I wanted to see whether there were certain clinics or clinic groups that you were guiding your community to because we do want it to be across the board but it is going to take time and I think for people to know that they can walk into clinic doors because accepting that you need to have treatment you know anyway is enough and then all Mm. the other hurdles that come with it and okay if you've known always that you're not going to be having a baby a conventional way it's still something to overcome and there's still an element of grief that you're not going to have a baby in a natural way you know regardless of everything yeah. else and so to know that then you're going into that professional space with those medical professionals and and that they will know how to talk to you is going to be I think so reassuring for people who might yeah might not have thought they could even deal with get walking through the doors because I know from some of the work I did with the Agora and talking with the trans community some of the procedures that can be invasive are so triggering as well there's so much to mm, overcome of course they are. And so they need people around them and I'm sure there's that conversation and that knowledge from within your community that people can be assured that those types of fears are being thought about as well yeah it's that level of empathy as well and I mean we deal with sperm bank wise we 
deal with Zytec, who we had all our free babies through, California Quarry Bank and Fairfax, all these organisations that want to support our company, but they're not just saying we want to support because financially at the end of the day, it's going to benefit us. They're saying we want to support them, but how can we better ourselves? How can we improve our language? How can we improve our marketing? How can we improve our forms? You know, who do we need to listen to better? And um, what can we change in the way we approach and empathize? And empathy is a huge thing. Yeah. It's not about saying, I understand how you feel, because no, you don't, but you can empathize with it. I don't understand how a trans non-binary person feels if they've been triggered or traumatized, but I can empathize. Yeah. And if you're giving that level of support and you're really opening yourself up to learning, that's how we all move. And it's about the co-creation of change together. It's not going to happen if there's no like reciprocal behavior. Yeah. I get that. I spent quite a lot of time in my private practice rejigging all of my forms because I was suddenly aware that yeah, they're not looking great. And it, it's having that assumption of a heterosexual relationship. So yeah. I've rejigged and changed everything. And that took a lot of work. And, you know, I'm, I'm, does. A, I'm a small private clinic, so I can't imagine the work that the NHS is going through to kind of cha- make those changes. But it's good to hear that you're getting mm. somewhere. Yeah. And certainly you've got clinics that are really supporting the cause as well which is fantastic so laura Definitely. before we let you go what one piece of advice would you give anybody listening who's come to this because they are at that early stage and there they are like okay great obviously come and find you and because there's loads of resources i know on your website <laughs> and and even from Definitely. the shop to the to the articles the blog posts to what you do on your socials it, you know it is an amazing resource which is why we wanted to have you on the show but what what else would you say as a starting point because it is overwhelming which we know which is why we're trying to break it down mm. Really, really take your time. And it's really easy to get carried away and get excited and think, oh, I'm going to have a baby or we're going to have a baby. (laughs) Take your time, join support groups, follow organisations like us and hear other people's lived experiences. You know, explore all paths to parenthood because it may be that you start off thinking that one path is right for you and then you'll hear other people's experiences and go, actually, that's, that's better for me or better for us. Really, really take your time. Listen to other people's lived experiences and really research, educate yourself, make sure when you're looking at fertility clinics, banks, that you read reviews, you check out other people's experiences with them. But also, how LGBT plus inclusive are they? Can you visually see yourself in their marketing? What is their language like? How do they support our community? Because those things are really, really important. They may seem small, but in the mix of it with your journey, they become a huge, huge part of why you have a positive or negative experience. Well, I'm ashamed to say, Laura, I wasn't following you, but I am now. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. No worries. Thank you you so much, Laura. We'll put the links in the show notes and um, just, you know, best of luck with it all. And and with your new, do you know what you're having? We do this time. We didn't find out with the other two. We found that we're having a girl this time. Oh, I was going to say, you don't have to tell us. I was gutted. I really, I think because our path to becoming mothers is so known and you know the whole journey is just planned having the surprises with both of them when they hold them up and go it's a boy or it's a girl is so amazing and this time I was really sad because my wife and the kids trumped me and they wanted to know so we found out so I've been waiting but yeah we know Nature's best surprise was 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 trumped but uh and how old are your how, how old are your others 
Our daughter is seven in a few weeks and our son is three and a half. So it's a three and a half year gap between all of them. Perfect timing. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to be busy. Well, we'll leave you to get on with your day. Thank you again so much for doing all you do and for explaining it all. And like I say, we'll we'll put all the links to other episodes as well, because Laura said about doing your research and we have got a number of really useful, relevant podcast episodes as well as this one. So do make sure you check those out as well. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. Ask the expert. 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 And this is a bit of a golden goose question. Is it possible to help improve egg quality? Uh That's a really good question. That's the question I get most days. And it's one that I answer frustratingly, not massively no. We can try. Clearly, if you're doing something very, very wrong that may be impacting on things, you know, smoking 30 a day, et cetera, et cetera, then those are easy fixes. But most people aren't by the time they get there. And by the time you find some intrinsic problem in air quality, perhaps in the lab with one or two IVF cycles, most people are doing everything already to maximize their general health. So again, going back to the sort of things that you see in online, CoQ10, a little bit of data, some people talk about melatonin, although again, not great data and a lot of studies have suggested the big studies i've seen have suggested no benefit so intrinsically not an awful lot is the honest answer to that i think there's some quite i think there's more and more coq10 studies coming out aren't yeah. there, to look at the mitochondria and things like that yeah, yeah. So i'm hoping in time we might get a bit more information on on how yeah. coq10 one, might be able to yeah it's one of those things on my to-do list to go go and reread see see what else has come out on that but last time i looked nothing nothing fantastic yet but we're getting there hopefully. yeah i hope so too so with the conversations and i know kate you're going to grimace that I see in our closed Facebook group about this and often the book, it started with an egg, is the one that's recommended. What is that book giving people the wrong idea about? What, what should people not be fobbed off by when they hear conversations about egg health? Well, it, it pisses me off if I'm, allowed to, if I'm allowed to swear. It pisses me off because I think so many women, well, for lots of different reasons, but one, so many women read it and follow it to the letter and I think it causes a lot more stress especially when they've tried everything and they're still not getting pregnant. So I think with that book, I think there are some good things in it. And I think it's more be- it's better to actually pick those things out rather than following it to the letter. I think also the rise and in interest in CoQ10 has partly stemmed from that book before we had the evidence, I guess, or the emerging evidence that's coming out now to potentially support its use. But I still sit on the, on the fence with it because whilst whilst the evidence is showing that it may improve egg quality and embryo quality, the, the live birth rates maintain the same. So there doesn't seem at the moment to be a huge amount of change. But as we just mentioned, we hope that there will be. So I think that that for me is why I'm very cautious with that book. Yeah, I, I think my, my concern with any of these things is that it leads people down a path that, that they can get quite obsessive about. And yeah, listen, improving general health, general nutrition is key, but it gives a level of importance to something that hasn't been proven uh, that worries me. A little bit like people who go to one clinic in particular, it will get pushed down the immune path. And for forever, these people will say it was this that made the difference. And the answer is it probably wasn't. But they, you, know, they, you, you can get pushed down a certain path and get obsessive about something that probably isn't going to be the key. And that's what I worry about, really. And absolutely, it increases stress levels. It's not maintainable. 
No, where do you go when you've read that book? And like I said, you've read it, you've done everything that it says you to do, and it's not working. Where and do it's you go not working. Because the key, the key mm. things are diet, aren't they? With, with, with it started with the egg. They're, they're, it's, it's fundamentally nutrition-based, isn't it? And supplement-based. It's, it's quite, there's quite a lot. I mean, I do have it. But yeah, it does talk about nutrition, talks about supplements, quite a lot about toxins, actually, which is quite useful, looking right. at the toxins and looking at how, how you know, it's sensible to reduce those toxins just for general health as well as fertility and for bringing your baby into your home. Um, so there are some good points in it, but I just think it's the obsessive nature. I mean, there's a Facebook group as well. It starts with the egg, which I think has thousands and thousands of women in it. Fascinating stuff. Ask the expert. 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 So as I said, there will be quite a few episodes in the show notes for this. So go and have a listen because we are always really keen to highlight when we're talking about a certain topic that we've probably talked about it before. And there have been amazing conversations. I spoke with Mike and Wes, who founded Two Dads, who talk all about surrogacy. If you've come to this podcast wanting to know more about that, there'll be a link to their chat. And also just in terms of the family law. And if you are transitioning and wanting to understand more about fertility preservation, or maybe you have transitioned and you want to know more about your options. And again, they are conversations that we've had in the podcast. But I do think that Laura and the LGBT Mummies tribe is just doing such amazing work. And like she was saying, to really get into the healthcare professionals is so vital, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, I feel so sad that it's been such a battle for her to get to where they are now and that, that there is so much work to do. You know, I feel sad for my profession that that, that is the case. You know, interesting what she was saying about the fact that the forms are just very heterosexual. And triggering. And very triggering, yeah. And, I mean, she's absolutely right. There are so many forms, aren't there, that will make that assumption. And I can see it being a massive piece of work to get that changed. But it's great, though, that she said that, you know, the NHS, um, they're making steps in, in that direction. And it's something, having chatted to, to Laura today, something I'm going to really take away with me and look again at my clinic and see what changes I can make. Because I know that I don't, I don't think you can ever stop changing. Yeah. I think there's always progress to be made. And although I have made some changes, I know that there's definitely going to be more. So, yeah, that was a fantastic chat. And even if it's things like, which I'm sure they probably do, is have templates. If people can't quite get their head around where to start, I'm sure there's really good support from what her and her organisation do. If if you might know, I don't know if you're listening and you might know uh, a clinic or a practice that could do with this type of help, mm. then, you know, signpost them. That's what we're all about is signposting you to where these changes can happen. Because the more each one of us makes a bit of a change, then, you know, the snowball effect mm. does happen, doesn't it? But it is amazing what she does and she's got brilliant following. I love that she was like, and I work full time, but this I'm still going to be doing the tribe stuff. It's, it's amazing <laughs> yeah. what people manage to do whilst yeah. having having a family and working full time and still, you know, making these kind of support networks available. So again, it's another example of the fact that you're not alone and there are people that totally get where you are at. And so as Laura was saying, look for people that you can relate to and that you can identify with in the literature that you're getting from clinics or different organizations that you're going to because you want to feel represented, don't you? Mm, 100%. That's all. It's all part of it. And I, and I liked when Laura kind of corrected my terminology when I said normalised and she said... Usualising. Usualising. Yeah, 
absolutely fantastic. That's exactly what it needs to be. Yes, exactly. And we will make sure that word gets out more. Mm. So any questions, do get in touch with us. Laura's details will be on the show notes as well. Thank you as always for your support. We'd love to know what you thought, especially of this episode. You can rate, review, subscribe and share. If there's people that you think will benefit from hearing this, it's a great way to introduce a conversation to someone. If you don't feel brave enough, get them to listen to a podcast about it and do let us know what you think. Thank you as always for your support and until the next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.